gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for February 7th, 2012. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is the smartest podcast on the entire internet. Uh, let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We've got uh, Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Hi. My name is Chuck Monster. And this is my introduction piece, and it's the only one I've ever done in a Steve Wynn voice. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. I have nothing more to add. <laughs> I know, that's a good one. I, I, there's no way I could top that. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And I didn't say anything. Um, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I, uh, no, it's not. creator of the Vegas Mate iPhone app. Yeah, no, it's not. I'm a, I'm also a uh, pathological liar. <laughs> so everything I say, just, you know, invert it. And that is actually the truth. Um, let's see. Last time around, we had an interview with the guys from Bally Technologies, which is fun, interesting. It was uh, pretty tech. Um, so I hope, you know, the people enjoyed it. We don't spend a lot of time talking about tech topics, but I think, uh, they're only going to become more important as uh, technology becomes a bigger part of the casino experience, not just for the uh, employees, but for the guests especially. So I think it's interesting, and um, I think that will be something to watch as that kind of continues to expand. So I hope everybody out there enjoyed the interview, and we thank them again for taking the time to do it. Um, I don't think I have any other announcements. I think we're ready to just kind of dive in unless uh, unless you guys have anything that you want to – that we need to talk about. Uh, no. All right, let's do it. Let's start off with, um, we're, we got two stories regarding, at least two stories here talking about when. Uh, the first one is going to be sort of, I think what's on the tip of many people's minds when they think about when this week, uh, which is the subject of the redesigned winlasvegas.com website. Now, this is interesting because this topic has sort of exploded um, it, it not only it, – it spurred a ton of Twitter conversation. It spurred a Vegas stripping board post. It spawned a something that you wrote, Chuck, which also had a ton of comments on it. It's, it's definitely something that um, people are talking about. And it's interesting because most, most people seem to agree in that they don't like it all that much. Uh, there, there are a couple of people that seem to uh, – that, that either – don't understand what all the fuss is about or are indifferent or, or actually um, maybe sort of like it. Uh, so just sort of in a nutshell, um, when resorts, when Las Vegas.com has, has been redesigned, the, the website itself has sort of been through several iterations and versions through its life. Um, for a long time, it was a flash based website that a lot of people didn't like because you, you know, had m- some audio stuff you couldn't easily turn off or turn off at all didn't work on some a lot of different devices. And so, I don't know how long has it been since they did the HTML version, I'd say, what, maybe like a year ago or less than a year ago? Less than. I think it was uh, April or May of last yeah. year. Yeah, okay. And ba- they basically took the, that original design but redid it using what we in the biz would call web standards. Basically, um, something that's a little bit more compatible. Uh, they took, I think, a lot of the feedback that they had gotten on the original website 
into consideration as they created that that updated version. And then on what was the second, I think, uh, last week, we uh, discovered that there's a whole new version of the website, which, man, I, I don't even know how to describe it. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you click over there right now, unless you're driving, of course, in which case you can uh, you know, pull over and check it out. But um, it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's uh, basically an all-black design with some white text and some other sort of highlight colors. A lot of really, really nice, admittedly really nice high-end photography. Some videos that kind of range from interesting and funny to strange-looking. And um, <laughs> just really, the thing that I think most people notice right away are, are a few things. One, the typography, uh, the, the fonts that they chose, most of them are very large. So it's, it's, it's the first thing you notice, the type is big. Most big, much bigger than, you know, your average mainstream website out there. Uh, to the point, almost it looks like someone hit the plus key too many times, or, or, or it just doesn't. It doesn't look right. It just looks too big, and and so that's one of the issues that people have been mentioning. There's there's this issue of um, sort of the functionality in general, whereas the old site, um, you know, had a lot of had a lot of functionality that is missing now. Stuff like restaurant menus and. And and uh, some of some of the specific details about some of the uh, amenities that the place offers. Now it's interesting. I noticed today they've added back a few things. There's now a casino link, which was missing um, for the first week, where there was no way to get access to you know win loss info or or to uh, casino credit app. So that stuff has been restored uh, with a little generic link on the bottom. Um, you know, there's this sort of the overall issue to the design, these weird beveled GeoCities-looking buttons that are real. I mean, they really do feel like web circa, like, 1998, which, you know, sort of that leads us back to the bigger question, which is, like, how, how did this happen, right? When most, most people that have commented on this have said, wow, they can't believe that they launched this. Like, is this a joke? What were they thinking? Um, there's There's... There's been a lot of folks questioning this decision-making process and wondering why they did this. And so, Chuck, that's, I think, maybe a good lead-in to talk about what you wrote in your post where you hypothesized some of this stuff. So why don't you give us a rundown on what, what your thoughts are? Well, I, th- I think that uh, the, the criticisms by Peanut Gallery are pretty accurate. You know, everybody's picked out their own sort of one-liner with that's filled with all sorts of truth about about why this this design is so incredibly wrong. Uh, it 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 ranges from from it being not only just ugly, but uh, it 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 damages the brand. You know, it, it, the fact of the matter is, is this the reason why the website looks this way is because Steve Wynn wanted it to look this way. He had a definite hand in, in building this as is. Uh, he's he, much like uh, Steve Jobs, Steve fancies himself of the, the megalomaniac and wants to approve every single thing that happens. And the, the difficulty of this is Steve's vision is deteriorating because of the Retinitis, 
uh, pigmentosa disorder that he was born with, you know, which means that over time your, your, your vision deteriorates, you start getting tunnel vision, and then eventually your central vision starts to kind of hole out from the inside, and your, uh, the, your perception of colors gets kind of wonky and weird. And anybody who pays attention to graphic design or signage, things like that, and I do because I'm a, uh, a graphic designer by trade, uh, probably noticed since the time that the resort is opened up until today that the signage has changed inside of the resort. And I mean mostly like the placards that they, they print out, chuck in a stand, and throw in the hallway so people will know what's happening on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. It used to be everything was that the, uh, the brown with cream Green colored on brown, with uh, with some of the filigree and the other things around it. Then during encore, there'd be a butterfly, but it was like red with white on it. But since that time, uh, all of the signage, all of everything, for the most part, has been black with white on black, with as little text as possible. His credo has been what and where. What's happening? Where is it? And you even see it on the billboards that are scattered along the highway as well. You know, they say, excess, win. Nothing else. Trist, win. You know, uh, Skrillex, win. Whoever, you know. Garth, win. That's it. Uh, This is a direct result of Steve's vision. And the website looks exactly the same. And... You know, couple this with the fact that a year and a half, two years ago, there was a major turnover of of talent inside corporate structure there, starting with, um, you know, the separation from Elaine. Uh, directly resulting from that was uh, Andrew leaving, and uh, all the other folks in in PR, all the uh, you know, the whole marketing department is decimated. Um, uh, the entire team that was doing all of the uh, uh, their internet stuff before, the managing the website, designing the website, they worked on that thing for two years, you know, to redo that website. Uh, the folks who did the Twitter, everybody, they all left, asked to leave, vanished, you know, dug a hole in the desert. And what they were replaced with was, was Marilyn Spiegel and her hired team of, of – Caesar's PR folks, and basically they yesed Steve on this. It's obvious that they did this. He probably got an iPad and said, I can't use the website, you know, and he started complaining about how he can't use it. You know, it's a possibility. And, you know, as a result, this thing with these gigantic, overblown fonts, uh, you know, the details are all gone. The reason why, you know, you look, they just added this casino button, but they didn't put it in the list on the left. Right. They didn't put it in the navigation. They threw it into the footer, which is which right. in, 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 the, in, the, in the parlance of, of, of information architecture, you're basically saying that the casino is as important as the contact us and the guest book. Right. You know? And it's not. It's actually as equal as the shows, the shops, the nightclubs, the spa, and the salon. Those are the top items. But the reason why is on various screens, you can only fit those 
half dozen buttons, right. or however many that they have. Otherwise, it overflows and you lose the book a room button, which is really important. If we go so by uh, if we go by uh, revenue, oh shit! Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. Wynn. If we go if we go by revenue uh, basis, that the casino button should be forty percent of the navigation, if not a little bit more, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it should be. It, 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 the problems are many. This is this is. You know, whoever designed this, the people who built it, you know, they did what they could, obviously. It's it's clean. It looks okay. You know, they kept it really, 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 really simple. But I think that's because that's the path of least, path, path of least resistance with Mr. Wynn. Because he's a difficult guy, you know. And he doesn't like what you've done. Not only does he uh, express his dismay, but he'll rip you apart personally. To, to get to your core, to get you to do a better job, you know, and this is, this is, this is kind of dangerous. I think you know, if I were a wind shareholder, I'd be a little concerned. Right. So I, so let's, so let, okay. So wind now has a shitty website. Okay. So I'm just going to posit that and let, let's assume that that's true. Even if you and the audience don't necessarily agree with me, let's just, yeah, wait, can I chime in on your here for a second? Uh, well, I'm going to ask a question, oh, and okay. and if you uh, if you disagree with the with the basis um, or have a comment, you feel free to chime in. So what I want to what I want to get at is, so what? Does it matter? Um, you know, it, <clears throat> the way that Win gets his customers, the customer base that it already has. Um, how much does it matter that they have a shitty website? Does it make a difference at all for them in their business in this? stage of their growth and uh you know the sort of lifetime of the company absolutely absolutely your website is where people are going to get their first taste of you anybody who's going to do any research who wants to learn anything about when the property anything they you know consumers are so savvy now they're not idiots particularly people who can afford to stay at the win for the by and large are educated they are technologically uh, astute. They know the difference between good quality, bad quality, particularly as relates to internet. And unless you have a compelling, I mean, a really compelling um, style, sense, you know, attitude, you're you're leaving money, you're leaving people, you're leaving everything on the table. You know, there is no way that just because they put that one little book or room button in the bottom, you know, that they're they're going to be cranking the same degree of of reservations for everything that we're doing before. Totally wrong. Absolutely wrong. Lots of problems. And the hokey, the hokey videos of Steve in front of the green screen, you know, that's just, that's bad. It's tacky. It looks, it looks really bad. It's starting to seem like, like this is like fucking stupac with a big fucking checkbook. (laughs) Really? It's getting to that point. You know, this website is almost virtually identical to the one that the, the, uh, the Westward Ho has. And somebody's actually archived that website, too. If you search for it, you can still go on that old website and click around and look at it. There's a lot of busted shit in there, but it's virtually the same thing. All it's missing is some animated GIFs, you know, and some animated clip art and things spinning around and whatnot. You honestly have a GeoCities page, you know, or or any number of, of horrible things from 1994 to... And where's the where's the red Yahoo cool sunglasses icon? <laughs> you know that should be in there somewhere too. I'm gonna get a make your selection on the left tattoo because I was not clear exactly what I was supposed to do when I arrived at the website. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, 
the the great thing I and now Hunter, you know a lot about this is is the beauty about the iPad, the device, is that there's no instruction manual. Right. There's there's two buttons and you turn it on and you go. And you give it to anybody. I gave it to my I gave mine to my dad to play with and He's 82 years old. He can't type. He can't do anything technologically. Could barely operate a cell phone. But he's really intelligent, and he just instantly was there with the maps, and he's searching for stuff and having a great time. If you have to give instructions, hey, check it out. Our uh, our navigation is is taking up one-third of the screen on on the left. Somebody told him to put that there. Right. Well, I, with the iPad, you know, sort of general and app building, one of the mantras that I use is if you have to include instructions, you failed in the design process somewhere because it should be obvious. And so the fact that they have these kinds of cues um, or what was one of the things that really stuck out to me immediately as a, like, a, wow, this is just not been put together by somebody that really gets the medium. So, Dave, I know you have been chomping to get in here. So, I have. So... Hit us, hit us up. Hit, I hit. think you guys have missed the boat in this one. Okay. Uh-oh. I completely missed the boat. Okay. If you look at this, when you roll, there's a little hand on your screen. And when you move the mouse, <laughs> when it goes over rooms, it turns it gray from black. This is high-tech stuff. You know, they have a guest book. You can click on the link and join a guest book. Yeah. All right. I'm sure by the end of the week, they're going to have a little thing saying how many people have visited the page. (laughs) This is so far ahead of its time. You know, I mean, this is just who else, what other casino site do you go to with the guest book? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they don't need Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or any of those other things. I mean, who needs that? It is fun. I mean, the the Twitter thing is interesting because I know that, you know, a couple of people had mentioned this. I think even um, the Dresdens were talking about it on 500. The Twitter account person, like, hasn't even mentioned that they have a new website. And I don't know if it's because they feel a little slighted that their Twitter isn't mentioned here on the website at all. <laughs> but um, it's like, uh, other than, if it wasn't for the invest, the earnings call where Steve Wynn explicitly said that they were very proud, that this was some of the best work, that they, you know, blah 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 If it hadn't been for that, I think some people would not believe that this wasn't some kind of a joke. Yeah. Totally. And if I can be serious for a moment here, you know, actually, I made the point on, I think, Chuck's thread about this, that I think this might have been during the opening tour for Encore, where Roger Thomas was talking about designing the janitor carts. Were you guys around, or did I just imagine this? Uh, I remember vaguely, yeah. And I, yeah, I remember this conversation. He was talking about how they designed them and back and forth. And you know, at the time, that just blew me away because most, you know, I can guarantee you that most of the Caesars properties just go to a supply catalog and say, okay, let's get this one. But here they are putting this thing, you know, at that, you know, where Steve's actually approving them and, and not approving them and putting that kind of effort into a janitor cart. It's like, wow. And this is what you put into your website, which is. It does not make any sense. Below what everybody else has, you know, and it's not just an aesthetic thing. As has been said, it's an actual booking integration thing. I should be able to buy a, you know, I I should be able to, you know, I think my vision of what a casino website is, is if I find out that Hunter's coming to town or Chuck is coming to town, I should be able to buy them $50 in free play and email it to them and they go in with their phone or something and scan it and get their free play. Now, I don't know why I can't do that. You know, send people that kind of sort of casino gift certificate. Right. Yeah. Own, restaurant and dining gift certificates. If you can do that with other businesses, 
Well, that was a point that I made too, was it's like, instead of doing sort of the, uh, the digital equivalent of what they do in their hotels, which is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, redefining luxury, um, not to get too marketing copy win style, but you know, they work hard to really take it to the next level. And they've had a lot of innovations that a lot of their, um, competitors have copied because they've worked really well. Instead of doing that digitally, they have just regressed so fully uh, into something that just really doesn't make sense. And this whole idea of like win as sort of tastemaker in chief, you know what? That that process has worked for them pretty well in the past, more or less. Not perfect, but it's worked well. It worked well at Apple. The dif- the difference though is that in both of those cases up till now, it's because the guys that were doing that job had great taste. And that seems to be lacking here. My opinion, when Steve Wynn, the person, based on the little bit that I know about his sort of um, the work that his companies have done on the web and the way he talks about the web and the internet, I don't really get the impression that he sort of really understands it. And I, I mean that in sort of a broad stent, in a broad sense. Uh, he, and <clears throat> so I think this is the, this is what you get when someone that really doesn't get the internet or the web or the way that these things are could work um, instead of, you know, leapfrogging the competition and going 10 steps beyond, they uh, go back to the simplest thing possible and, and simplicity, not in a good way. I mean, really taking out some important, important features that people really want and, you know, creating something that they're getting a little bit mocked for, which is obviously not what they were setting out to do. So here's another thing. When you're a guest there, your red card is integrate. You use that as your room key, right? Right. Okay. How come there's nothing here where this, you know, you put in your red card number and this personalizes a website for you and says, hey, you know, you like, you've seen shows with us here. You know, this is what you, you know, I don't get it. It seems like they're really not doing a lot with this. I think they were going down that path with the previous website because they were working on red card integration, you know, so you can log in and check your points or whatever it was, these kinds of things. And they were working towards that platform before. Well, it ties back into our conversation from last week, right? I mean, Bally is a company that makes the software that that makes all these interactions possible. And um, so we see, we, we have that conversation last week where they're telling us about all the new and exciting things that are going to be coming and all these crazy capabilities that we're going to have eventually and the things that they're pushing to try and get into their customers' hands. And then the, not only, you know, the very next week we get this uh, new website, which is like basically as, as if that conversation couldn't even have been possible because there's no possible way that technology exists because look what we have here, right? This is... This is the state of the art in Winland, and if that's true, I mean, it's just it's it's hard to believe that they could look at this and feel good about it. And maybe they don't. Maybe there's a faction inside the company that knows that this isn't good, but this is just not a fight they wanted to pick. Right? They just didn't want to go there. It was easier to just say, "Sure, no problem. We'll do. We can definitely do it." And you know, move on to the next battle, and maybe we'll change it later. Um, but it, maybe they don't know though, Hunter. And that was, that's kind of was my last point there is maybe they just don't know the people who are helping Steve make these decisions, you know, maybe, you know, uh, Marilyn Winspiegel has never been responsible for building a website. You know, it's never been her task before. She's, 
always been under 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 the 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 wing of a corporation that just did that stuff and she was a player on the ground. You know, here she's property press. She's, you know, at the top of the totem pole. Maybe we Weaver's never done this thing, this kind of brand identity, you know, building, maintaining. You know, you come to Caesars, of course, you got all those brands. You're not inventing the wheel at this point. Right. But they just invented this wheel five, six years ago, and now they've they've virtually sliced its neck open well, letting blood pour onto the internet. And I was this morbidly idiotic website. I would argue too that this isn't the same kind of brand. I mean, the brand that win it's actually been pretty amazing that they've been able to create a luxury brand in a, that such short amount of time, a brand that people um, look to as a legitimate purveyor of luxury. You know, I mean, a lot of the really, a lot of the other brands in that space have been around forever, right? Brands like, you know, Tiffany and, and, um, and all of the high fashion brands. I mean, they, the, most of those companies are old. Um, and when I think did a good job of creating this sort of, feeling of inevitability that they were a luxury brand and there was no questioning it. And it, you know, we provide luxury and that's the end of the story. Um, it, we, yeah. and I think they've done a really good job with that. And so it is mind bogglingly strange that they're willing to seed ground that they fought hard to win by doing something like this. Just I if Roger, I wonder if Roger saw this. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, some, it's funny. Some of those guys as are so, sort of self-professed internet phobe. I mean, maybe not internet phobe is the wrong person, but technology phobe. Like I've heard him say before that he doesn't really, you know, he, he technology is not one of his favorite things, right? He he has um, figured out how to how to embrace some of that stuff, but it's not like it's you know he doesn't go home and look forward to flipping on his computer, right? He goes home to <clears throat> probably it's going home and reading, you know. Some impressively, <clears throat> some impressive art book or something. It's just, for, I think for a lot of these guys, technology isn't really in their blood, and I don't know for whatever reason, right? Um, but color and design right. and style is, and that's universal, whether it's on the web it's true. or it's on the walls. True, it's very true. I don't know. Maybe you know, it's hard. It would. I would love to get the inside story on uh, how this all went down. Right? Who's whose opinion was asked? Who? offered their opinion, even if it wasn't asked and sort of how this whole thing came together. I would love to get the inside dirt on this. I mean, talking to some former employees, you know, there's a lot of head scratching going on uh, as far as how this could have happened. And I think, you know, also a a few that are are really not that surprised. They saw which way the wind was blowing. And um, I don't think that there was a whole lot of surprise that this is what the result was. Which way the wind was blowing? Ooh, I, you know, that's, I, I didn't even mean to make that pun, but it, it's, it's too good. It's a gust of hot air. <laughs> Dave, did you have something else you wanted I to did. add? I did. You know, when you mentioned luxury, I just, for the hell of it, went on the Four Seasons website. And just to get an idea of what another luxury brand is doing, and it's pretty incredible. The, the difference is just really nice. It's unobtrusive. I kind of navigated, went to Four Seasons Denver, just... Again, kind of for the hell of it. Page here, there's a little kind of slideshow thing that's not too cheap looking. You can make a reservation right there with check-in and check-out dates, not that tacky book a room thing. You know, make a reservation. Sounds a lot better than booking a room to me. You know, again, this is when you get into the kind of psychology of selling, I think. 
book a room to me sounds like I'm making, I've got an obligation. I've got to pay. Make a reservation sounds like, hmm, I'm going to reserve something and it's going to be there for me when I get it. It just right. sounds I, a lot well, better. Copywriting is a huge part yeah. of web design, information architecture, and a lot of this copy does not seem like it was particularly well thought out. Yeah. You know, you've got everything you need here, thing for how to do weddings and events. Every, it's pretty cool. They also and I, had- I have a lot of confidence about this. If I was going to go to the Four Seasons Denver, this website makes me feel good about it. Like, hey, they know what they're doing. What if you speak Chinese? Can you read that? Do they have a Chinese version? Well, no, Probably but if I dig around, oh, the, the four seasons. Well, the interesting thing, the question about China is if you look at the Win Macau site, it hasn't been redone. Right. So what does that mean? Is that just a, a question of time and translation or is that um, a, a deliberate strategic decision? No. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Chinese right now. <clears throat> I, I don't understand this. <laughs> That's probably well, they, the they had multiple languages of the of the Win website before, yeah. correct? I'm, I'm not dreaming that. I know. I and think you're wow. right. There were a couple of variations. There's definitely a Spanish yeah. version. Yeah. Even on the Chinese page, I can see there's a little thing for follow us on Twitter, connect with us on Facebook, and on our RSS feed. Yeah. So wow, yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. I don't know. I just it is. It's kind of baffling. Um, I think in terms of raw metrics, it's hard to imagine that their conversion and booking rates will be as high as they were just because there's not as many places that are feeding in those funnels. I mean, it's just in a very basic marketing sense, there there isn't uh, – there's not as many entry points into the let's make money off of this person's funnel. So uh, I assume that those numbers are going to fall. Maybe that will be impetus for them to redesign some of this stuff again. Um, I, I will have to see, I guess it's just, it's kind of unbelievable to me. It's funny how every time I talk about this, I get, I get sort of animated again. It's funny how this is like really struck a nerve with people. They, they just can't believe that it's so bad. And this is why it's so important. This is the, this is the front doormat. You know, this is your marketing brochure. This is your commercial and your advertisement and your information and your rumor controller and sales pitch and salesman and, and everything. People are going to go through this. This is how people judge your business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. Yeah. I I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> well, we'll, have, we'll obviously watch it, see if it changes, but, uh. What's the opposite of lipstick on a pig? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Dirt on a bikini-clad supermodel? I think it's the <laughs> Win Las Vegas website. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if it survives. I don't know. I have a feeling it probably will, and it'll probably stay this way for a long time. Definitely. Um, but uh, maybe they, if they feel enough of a financial pit uh, from a hit from it, sort of the negative changes that they've made, then maybe, maybe that won't be true. But anyway, let's, let's keep talking about wind a little bit. Cause since the last time we did a, sh- a show, we have this lawsuit, uh, between wind resorts, principal, uh, uh, Okada is the majority shareholder now, right? I mean, he's got 20% of the stock more or less. He's got more than anybody else. I think even more than any single institutional investor. So, you know, he's, he's, uh, was the original wind partner and starting the company and, um, since the divorce split the the shares between Steve and Elaine, you know he now has a bigger share than 
than than either of them. And he has filed this this lawsuit. Um, sort of in broad strokes, the, the lawsuit alleges that the well, the, he's trying to get access to the company's books. He's alleging that maybe there was some funny business with how the way some of these funds were allocated for Macau and some other projects. And he he wants to look at the books of the company, and the company has said no. Um, the company have, has since come back and you know said that uh, his, his claims are baseless, that they have no obligation to show him anything, um, and that basically this is all sort of this complicated fallout from a project in the Philippines that uh, that Okada wanted to do or it want, is working on, and that Wind Resorts had decided they didn't want to participate in, and um, due to that sort of disagreement there's been a cascade of fallout that has resulted in this lawsuit but you know it's interesting we now have the biggest shareholder in the company a director of the company basically actively waging war against um the the management and and steve Wynn. and uh it's this i mean the story is not the same but um you know he's win has had trouble with investors in the past i mean obviously there's a situation with Mirage Resorts, which um, investors were unhappy with a combination of factors, you know, a bunch of spending on art and, and Bellagio and Beau Rivage and a combination of things that depressed the stock enough that uh, there was that uh, MGM was able to come in and, and buy the place or, or as some would say, take it off his hands. I got a great <laughs> price. I never I wanted to sell all along. Yeah. Um, it was a friendly deal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see this sort of drama. Um, and the, at, Wynn was asked about it on the call, and he was, you know, I think very uh, diplomatic about it. Uh, he, you know, s- s- could have gone and gone for blood, but he decided to be diplomatic, which uh, I think it's interesting. These are guys that have had a close relationship in the past, you can tell, in terms of, you know, they've been business partners for a while, and they seem to be friendly. Um, but that has disintegrated. So, I don't know. I'd love to get... Thoughts, Dave? Any thoughts on this? I mean, we don't see a lot of um, boardroom shareholder drama, at least at this scale, um, with Nevada gaming companies, do we? No, and for good reason, because, you know, for something like this to make it to the public means that there's a real serious rift there. And I think usually everyone's self-interest is keep your mouth shut, let the stock price go up. Any kind of dissension like this could the stock price you know so it's like if we were having a disagreement about how to run the podcast and every time we said something the value of the podcast went down which i don't know how that could happen because we lost a listener we don't get paid for it but you know if we basically by by making this public you're taking money out of your own pocket right because if you have a substantial chunk of that stock your stock price is dropping so yeah it's it's pretty crazy pretty crazy we i don't remember when the last time i've, I've seen something like this between um somebody who's just uh I'm, i actually let me backtrack with that city center and dubai world right it's the last time we saw this right uh it's you know um it, it my understanding i'm no lawyer obviously but my understanding is that you know win resorts is a nevada corporation and nevada has some pretty strict laws about um it's in terms of being uh, favoring the corporation, my understanding is that the laws are pretty much in the corporation's favor as far as mandatory disclosure and the rights of shareholders. I mean, it's it's one of the states that is uh, sort of less permissive when it comes to shareholders' rights. Um, 
And so I think it's, I'm wondering, you know, just on, on question of the merits, do we have any idea, any way to sort of benchmark if the guy has a chance? I mean, sort of, if you look at it in a purely, if you don't look at the law in any detail, you're like, well, he owns 20% of the company and he's a director. Like, of course they should give him whatever he wants. It just seems fair. But the, the, the details are, you know, not even close to that. It sounds like actually more, a little bit of a long shot that he's going to get access to these materials based on what I've read. Yeah, I think so. You know, again, not being an attorney, I can't really say, but they seem to have, you know, I mean, he seems to have all of his bases covered. So I, you know, I really can't say what's going to happen out of this. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to kind of watch. There's been some filings back and forth between the parties as it goes forward. And I think there's going to be a hearing relatively soon, right? Sometime in the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, to determine, I guess, whatever the next step is. These things are often quite protracted, and it may take quite a while before um, there's any kind of determination as far as what's going to happen. But And if I can kind of prognosticate, it yeah. might be just like the Dubai world thing where all of a sudden there's a handshake and the whole right. thing just goes away. Right. right now, right. Dave, you're, you're not a lawyer, but you are a doctor. <laughs> But not the kind of one that can heal the sick. Okay, but you and you are a doctor at a university. Yes. So imagine if Steve Wynn gave UNLV $150 million. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. That would be a pretty big deal, yeah. I mean, that's, back- a, that's a huge gift. Yeah, a couple of years ago, Harris was going to give $25 million, which was a, a big deal, and that kind of fell through. But yeah, I mean that would be 150 million dollars would be a huge deal. I'm trying to think of where it would rank in the overall, you know, not just gaming related stuff, but overall American university donations. It would be up there. It would be pretty big. You know, Macau University is probably about the size of a small community college. Mm-hmm. It's not big. You know, you can it's the, you can walk across from one end of Macau in about a half hour to the other. It's not that. It's not that big. There's not that many people there. The school's not that big. $150 million chunk of change to the school that is right next door to where Wynn Kotai is going to be built. Okay. You know, I- this is, this kind of, the, the point of this is not only is he trying to be nice to the neighbors, but there's probably some other deal going on, some other thing, maybe... Um, you know, uh, right away question or who knows what, it, what, 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 what really is going on behind the scenes here. And I'm willing to throw out there that possibly Okada thinks that some things might not be, he's not telling. Right. He's holding something, some piece of information, like the Chinese government said, if you want to get to go ahead, you got to be nice to your neighbors, you know, or any 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 one of these kinds of things. They're, they're forcing civic responsibility on the corporation. Well, know, I think the they, subtle implication is that there's something is not quite normal about a donation this large to a school this small. Exactly, and if it, if there is nothing nothing wrong, then why doesn't Win just say we're just given a gift? There is no there's no backstory here. Well, I would argue, sort of, to argue the other side of that, you know. The if 
I'm sure that company publicly traded companies get requests from shareholders all the time to examine materials that they have no right to. So if Wynn caves on something like this, they open the door to they set precedent that they probably really don't want to set, right? That they're willing to talk to people. And it doesn't matter if you're Okada or Brian Fay, right? In terms of the scope of your holdings, they just don't. Well, come on now. There's a difference. I'm not saying there's not. I'm just sort of talking in the abstract as sort of taking the opposite tack. Of course, there's yeah. a difference. Um, but, uh, you know, it's sort of this like we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of line, right? You, you don't want to set this precedent that could then be used against you no matter what um, sort of the stakes are. You, you know, I think you need to be very careful in determining how you respond to something like this. It's taken a while before it's bubbled up to this point. You know, at some point, one one cell became infected, and then it doubled and tripled and spread. You know, before it finally kind of pussed all over the place, right? Right. So, how come they didn't deal with this at the at the at the at the minute level? Are they not communicating? Well, or is, or is this just a bigger picture? And this I can is, speculate honestly, on that what too. I, I think the bigger picture really is Steve is losing his mind. Well, okay, so I would say that I would say that we have a we definitely have a sort of public uh, caricature of Steve Wynn as a personality. Like I would say we don't really have one of Okada. So at least he's far less known, right? Steve Wynn is out there. He's a public figure. Um, when you think when you say Steve Wynn, you instantly conjure up a picture of what he's all about. Um, who, I mean, what you what I you know you've got two billionaires that. Um, both see the world in opposite way or see this issue in two different ways. And they're not used to getting someone telling them no. And I think you'd quickly get to intractable when it comes to an issue like this, right? It quickly goes from, we're able to work it out as reasonable people to no, you know, screw you. I'm definitely not doing that. You know? Yeah. I'll see you in court. Okay. Yeah. See you in court. I mean, I can easily imagine a situation like that kind of unrolling, just not even be with these specific personalities, but just people, of those means and power and custom of, you know, used to being getting their way and the sort of the world that they live in. I, I can't, I have a hard time thinking that these two guys would get to that level so fast. Cause they're, you know, at one point, were they, weren't they not like 50, 50 partners on this company? Didn't Originally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But the thing about it this way, Chuck, you think Steve Wynn is like – I'm sure he was all buddy-buddy with Akata as long as he could do whatever the hell he wanted. You, I don't get the impression that Steve mm-hmm. likes to share power with anybody. He was right. great friends with Okada as long as Okada didn't care how the company was being run. <laughs> yeah. Just you give me the check at first and I'll keep sending you checks yeah, back after exactly. that. Other than that, shut your mouth and go back to Japan. Kind of. I mean, look, all he's right. like, hey, I'm Steve Wynn. You know, I have right. a track record. I've done all these oh. things. You know, I, I know what I'm yeah. doing. Like, you know, just – Obviously, thing. now listen. This ties into the, uh, the the previous conversation. Is the Okada page is not linked on the new website? <laughs> right. So a lot of people have pointed it out. Whether it's a question of yeah. their upcoming renovation, whether it's some kind of spiteful, weird situation. I mean, it, that's an open question, right? That's so- a, that's it for a Japanese man. Listen, my wife is Japanese, and you know, I, I know a, a good deal about that culture. That is an insult. That is like. Uh, offending his family, Kata's family, by doing that. That's a good you point. Know, that's not. That's not just we omitted it. We did it. That's really, you know, that's that's basically turning your back on somebody. 
it's losing face, forcing him to lose face. Absolutely. It's publicly humiliating. The Japanese do not stand for that at all. Well, it'll, I mean, clearly, as you know, as Dave said, for it to have gotten to this point indicates that, you know, it's a relative, at least they believe it's serious, right? Or Okada does, you, you know, he's trying to enforce this issue. Felt like he couldn't get anywhere. He feels like it's something that needs to be pursued and he's willing to you make know, a board fight too, proxy board right. fight, replacing members. Right. This right. thing's going to get bloody, man. Which, it's you know, get bloody. Kind of thinking about it from a more scholastic point of view, there's a fascinating paper to be written here about cross cultural business communication mm-hmm. and, you know, how often there's such an emphasis placed um, in a lot of the Asian cultures and agreeing and, you know, Oftentimes, if you're in a negotiation and they say, you say something, they say yes. It doesn't necessarily mean I agree with you. It means I've heard what you said. I acknowledge you. Know, yeah. Yes, you know, and it's very interesting. You might contrast that with what's going on in Dubai world, where there was this very public, you know, ah, gross negligence, blah, 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 and then okay, we're we're fine, we're right. cool. Well, and I think also a lot of that is sort of legal terms that kind of go into these. There's almost a template for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have completely disregarded fiduciary responsibility. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, well, what we really mean is like, you know, it, 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 the, the, the language is, you know, atomic language, but it's not really. I mean, you know, it's just that that's just the default position of the lawyers to go a thousand miles and in that direction. Right. I don't know. I, it's interesting. I've been reading the filings and sort of definitely keeping up with it. And um, we'll definitely continue to talk about it if there's something. Let's play some bets here. How does this thing, how's this thing going to shake out? I don't know. I I think my bet is that Okada gets nothing. Um, oh. he just, and st- and stays just well. I, you know, I think he'll maybe grumble and uh and and be unhappy about the outcome. Um, and eventually he may sell his shares, but not all at once because it would hurt the stock too much. Um, I think what's more interesting is the the elections for the directors and how that's going to go. My guess is that. More the institutional shareholders are loyal to Steve Wynn than they are to Okada, and they'll do sort of take his advice if he calls up you know some of these major institutional shareholders and says, "Look, we really need you to vote the shares a certain way." My guess is that he'll keep his directors, and Okada won't get his new slate. But who knows? Maybe they can come to some kind of agreement where Okada gets to put in a couple of new directors that, and they can kind of settle it that way, right? Where the composition of the board changes a little bit, but it's voluntary, not through. Uh, not through, uh, you know, a takeover of the board through this election process. Throw in putting his name on the fish taco stand that's replacing Switch and you got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's just total speculation, but I don't Do you guys have, do you guys disagree? Different opinion? No, I don't know enough of what's going on inside to handicap it. And again, these things are, you know, I was astounded when it happened. I would, nothing would really surprise me at this point. Yeah. I think Steve Wynn's going to lose control of the company at some point within the next five years, and this is the first step of it. Interesting. Yeah. And then who takes control? It's going to be a corporation or a banker or somebody else is going to take it over, inside or out. Don't know. So, you know, Tom Barrick could buy it, Colony. Yeah. <laughs> put that golden touch. You know, yeah. Caesars, tries <laughs> a, Caesars tries to get in there. Right. You know, maybe Penn National. But the <laughs> definitely is nobody nobody has that kind of cash. Yeah, I don't see the only competitor that I think could make a go at it would be Sheldon Adelson. And man, wouldn't Ooh. that be incredible? Oh my yeah. god. I mean that guy's printing money between Macau and Singapore 
Uh, he's the, I think the only guy, and he seems to be on an upswing, not, you know, other than being in the New York times every other day for stories about Newt Gingrich. But, um, you know, I, he's making a lot of money. Um, he understands this, the customer base. I mean, he's already at the luxury end of the market. Uh, you know, I think it's a long shot, but if I was going to bet on any company that could maybe pull that off, I think Las Vegas stands would be a better bet than a lot of these minnows. I'm going to say Harris Caesars. Yeah. They might not have the money, but they'll find a way to get it. Yeah. Cause they want in in Macau too. So yeah, no, I think yeah. That's, that's possible. I that think that makes sense. I think that's possible. I think it would be a really complicated deal. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't count out Gary Loveman or, or Caesars cause they've been able to, when they've seen opportunity, They've been able to take it even when they everyone said, like, there's no way they could make this happen. And they've been able to exploit other people's weaknesses or other opportunities in the market, um, despite the fact that their financial condition is still tough. I'm going to invoke the the, uh, the Jeff Simpson and say he said this a long time ago, you know, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that, that, that the, the Loveman was going to uh, get in bed with the yeah. wins. Well, mm-hmm. It would definitely be an interesting thing. Or you could just go say, oh, Donald Trump clearly is going to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We talk, we've been talking about win for a long time. So let's talk about some other stuff. Um, is so, other stuff? Yeah, there's other <laughs> stuff. There's great stuff. Um, actually, I got a couple topics uh, from Dave. So let's see. I know I've got, I've got at least three topics we can talk about here. Um, we've got the dealing school piece. We've got the got the casino debt and we've got the stars and diamonds thing that you just posted. So any preference in terms of how we attack these? Let's do debt first. Okay. Let's talk about casino debt. So why don't you bring us up to speed on what we're talking about? Well, number one, there's a lot of it. Number two, in the past <laughs> five years or so, to kind of take the 30,000 foot view here. Um, <laughs> basically in the past five years, casinos have piled on a lot more debt. A lot of this happened when Caesars went private uh, station went private. MGM borrowed for City Center. You, know, you just see the debt level spike. I don't have the report open in a browser, although I can remedy that right now and get it open. But basically, I just pulled together some of the some of the data from the LVC, not the LVCVA. They wouldn't do this. The uh, ah, Gaming Control Board filings, and you see that wow, in the basically in the past several years, debt levels have really shot up. And revenue levels have gone down. So the question is, how long is this sustainable for? And I just kind of put this out there. I just put the data set out there for people to talk. I know some people in the investment communities took some pot shots. Uh, One guy said that it was a waste of time because if you take Caesars and Harrah's and Station out of the equation, if you take Caesars and MGM and Station out of the equation, it really wouldn't be a headline. And, you know, my question is, well, if you take Caesars and MGM out of Nevada Gaming, <laughs> what do you have left? Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's like saying, well, it's only hot in days when the sun comes out. Right. Other than that, <laughs> that was like one of the dumbest things. I've, <laughs> and I don't be money to pick stocks for them. So I don't know what, what the deal is with that. But, you know, since then, Moody's has also picked this up and has hit on them. And I know some other folks are working on this. Basically... What I'm worried about is seeing this manifested in the operations. So, for example, your interest expense is going up. The revenues aren't going up. You've got to cut corners somewhere. Right. Harris 
or Caesars. This is a story that wasn't picked up too widely. It happened up north in Reno and Tahoe. They're basically starting to outsource all of their housekeeping, hmm. which is kind of, I see this as the mirror image of what's going on with Bellagio and Hyde. Okay. Well, basically, in order to get some kind of cost certainty, and this is something that right. Charles hit on talking about Hyde and kind of the mollification of a lot of these casinos. And I love the Bellagio Westfield. Awesome. <laughs> um, in order to get that cost certainty, you give up control right. over the product. This is taking that same logic and applying it backward into the supply chain to your housekeeping and saying, all right, we are now not going to, we don't have to worry about giving housekeepers benefits. They now all got fired by us. They got hired by a new company. They had to add a room they had to do one more room per day. They lost their vacation time, which, you know, if you're an hourly employee, you know how much that sucks because that's one of the few good things you have. So if you've been there for five years and bank some vacation time and lose it, I mean, that absolutely, I can't even say what a dagger to the heart that is. Yeah. And I don't even know what you gain. So basically, they're doing this to try to get that much more of a margin. To me, that is a very scary sign hmm. because you're giving up, number one, there's a morale issue. Number two, you give up control over your standards. Right. And if somebody has a problem, they're not going to want to hear, oh, well, that's another company. You know. Right. So can you imagine that if you've got a, a housekeeping problem and they can't even address it directly because it's an outside company? Right. So to me, that's really scary. And I'm interested in what you guys think. You know, If you've seen any ripple effects of this, lowered service, anything like that. Huh. You know, I had missed this story, but that's fascinating to me, um, especially – and I really don't want to get into a debate about Chinese labor, but there has been stories about you know how all of the devices that we use in our lives are made in other countries with different labor standards than the United States. And in you know it's not the same thing, but it's sort of along the same lines. Companies do these things for the same reasons, and you do give up significant control and um, certain aspects of those operations, and you gain you know stuff something like cost certainty. And when something bad happens. You know, you're still tied to it, but you don't have the same about the same ability to respond that you might in other circumstances. I think it is a very dangerous game, and it can't if it's you know it can be profitable if it's managed well. Uh, but I think it also can be something that has a lot of potentially unintended side effects that um, are very difficult to control. Um, it will be, I think will be fascinating to see if this becomes a trend. Um, especially, I mean, wow, I can't, uh, you, the, the issue you mentioned regarding the vacation, I mean, it, it, it's, it would be, I mean, you know, I guess in this economy, right. It's like, well, you know, what else are you going to do? You're not, yeah. They're not going to go find another job. So it's not like they can get a better offer someplace else. So like basically, you know, it's really some of these sounds like some of these employees really got screwed, um, and they're not very probably not very happy about it. I would be apoplectic if um, if that was me. I, so I definitely can understand that. It's, I think it's fascinating, and it will be I think incredibly interesting to see if it comes if it gains traction and becomes more of a thing. What else could they outsource? I was thinking about this related to the to the to the 
to that comment that Dave referenced before us talking about how MGM uh, MGM basically operates their business as if it, they're a landlord. You right. know, they, they, mm-hmm. They're not really in control of the entire organism. They just kind of rent out the space to uh, to spread the risk out. They always know they're going right. to get XYZ per square foot. And I, and I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, what else, what else could they do? You know, well, so traditionally what? It's retail – uh, restaurants, Retail, restaurants and entertainment are the traditional mm-hmm. things that you could outsource in casino business. And, and there's been a lot of varying wisdom as far as like what makes sense to do and different operators have had different opinions as far as how much of that they want to keep and how much they want to, they want to give away. And, and what struck on me at that point was, well, the Four Seasons, they outsourced a chunk of their hotel. Basically, they rented out that hotel right. to, you know, to that brand. And then I'm like, you know what? Think about the scratch of my head. City Center, they basically did this on an even larger scale, renting out the whole, you know, the whole building of this, the whole this, everything's getting outsourced. When are we going to start to see the casino being outsourced? Well, we see some of that, right? I mean, there are are companies that don't run their own casinos, and I think oftentimes that's a licensing issue, right? It's because they can get a a consultancy come in that is licensed already. Uh, It's a lot easier for them to get come in and run a property. We see that a lot when there's change of control. And they want to keep a casino open um, because it takes time to go through the licensing process. Uh, but yeah, I think you can see a lot more of that, and especially back of house services, right? Stuff that isn't customer visible, IT, um, other managed uh, custodial services, all the stuff behind the scenes that we don't see. I mean, there's already a ton of that that is not. I mean, I think MGM Grand is maybe the only place that has its own laundry. In another case, everybody else is doing, you know, outsourcing that. Um, I assume some of those things are governed by regulation. And, you know, it's interesting in the conversation about with the Bally guys last week, them talking about how regulation impacts data storage and, and access to that information. I, I wonder if that has, uh, if, you know, if there's a regulatory uh, impact there as far as how much outsourcing you can do with IT stuff in, in the casino industry due to have, you know, the customer data that you carry. Um I think it's fascinating, you know, especially as these companies are trying to control costs or trying to, as you said, Dave, just really make things predictable, right? They they, they can handle um, if they know that their costs aren't going to swell some unforeseen event, you know, if they can do, come up with a contract that enables them to keep their costs growing at as X percentage or maybe, if, you know, if they have their own way, you know, shrinking at Y percentage, right? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. It is. You know, and another thing we've seen, we've actually seen a preview of what might lie ahead in station casinos. You know, remember, as they took on that debt, after they went private, they outsourced a ton of stuff. They outsourced the call center. They outsourced a lot of their dining. You know, once they made the deal with the bondholders and got that off their back and restructured, they took all that back. You know, they took the the call centers are now back in Vegas. Um, they've taken back all the restaurants or now back to grand cafes. So it's very interesting how this goes, you know, how they were originally doing, you know, they were doing three years ago, what everyone else is doing now. And once they got that, you know, once they got their debt load restructured, they immediately went back. And that's why this summer they launched the whole, we love locals campaign to try to convince people like, okay, it's better now. So that's why I'm very leery when you see people doing the same thing and saying it makes good fiscal sense. If it was good fiscal sense, I don't see the Fertitas just throwing money away for the sake of throwing money away. Right. If it was such good fiscal sense, that would have worked a lot better for them. Right. 
I don't know. I think it's interesting. And the point you made, especially when you're talking about a customer-facing uh, service like housekeeping, I mean, people get really pissed off when the housekeeping isn't right, when they don't come or when they may do a bad job or really in a terrible situation when maybe something from the room ends up missing. Um, that really, really upsets people. I mean, the Cosmopolitan got went through a really tough time because their housekeeping was so uneven. And it, be, it was one of the things that people mentioned again and again. You know, oh, the place is great, but the hotel's funky. The housekeeper never came. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was one of the things that really came up again and again. So it shows you that that is one of those services that people expect to have kind of just work, you know, you know <laughs> like, like electricity or water. It just, you expect that you go out in the morning, you come back and your room is clean and everything is the way it should be. Yeah, and another thing, kind of from employee perspective, and this is tying in the M Dealer School, which I'm not, I don't really want to talk about too much because the article isn't about out yet. But after Thursday, this will make more sense. You know, basically they've got a program where they're taking employees from all different departments, including housekeeping, and if they've got what it takes, they can become dealers, and that is a huge financial windfall for them. I mean, they can double and triple their salary by doing right. this. So, what does it say when? Your housekeeper, you know, that's no longer really an entry-level position that can go somewhere. What kind of upward mobility do you have if you're just working for some outside company who only does housekeeping? That, To me, that kind of bothers me because, you know, if you're in a casino, you want to take the best and the brightest from all your departments and you're just giving up control over your employees, which, I, you know, I don't get. It's such a service-intensive industry. I don't know why you wouldn't want to have maximum control over your employees. Because you want to make maximum money. Yeah. But I think eventually it's going to, you know, it's, you're going to lose some good people and it's going to backfire. No, I don't, I don't but, think that this is going to be the way to go. I, I think at least in, a, in, a, in the Caesars department and maybe not Caesars Palace, but the other properties, you probably already lost those good people. You know, That's possible. They're, they're probably going to other places. You know, this, the, the Harris Caesars uh, portfolio is has the highest ratio of crud in the corners. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about actual crud in the corners, every corner you look in, in terms of dirt and scum and things like that. You know, those those folks aren't necessarily taking a lot of pride in the upkeep of the property. So if they lose a couple of smart folks who decide to go work at the Tropicana because they make a little bit more money, well, that's competition. Yeah, and that kind of feeds into the other topic, which is the stars and diamonds. Yeah, and well, why don't you uh, – yeah, so you wrote a post about this today, sort of – you know, we, we see this all the time as hotel guests, right? People are touting their their uh, AAA stars and diamonds and Forbes, and I can never remember, I can never remember which one is which. But, um, but uh, you know, they're both important uh, hotel rating systems that we see um, all over the place. and uh, And so the question is how important is that? Right, and how do these companies? How, how important do these companies take it? How important is it to customers? And so, Dave, you wrote a blog post about it today. Um, so, if you could just quickly summarize that, and then I, you know, I, it's funny because I actually have some direct experience too with this in terms of um, I got my hands on a report that the Bellagio got um, in the mid two thousands after one of their. Uh, assessments, which is very interesting to read. But anyway, go ahead and why don't you tell us what the post is about? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to, you know, when they put out the press release about the diamonds and the stars, it's really easy to be jaded because everybody has been Vegas and it's like, yeah, big deal. And, you know, for a lot of folks, I can see it not really meaning a lot because we already know what the Bellagio is 
and a bunch of diamonds after the name isn't going to really change our impression. You know, spending some time at the M doing the dealer school story, I was really impressed by the way they put everything back to, you know, well, you know, just the way they're interacting with the people in the class. Well, is that a four-star attitude? Is that, you know, is that four-star language? You know, are you using slang? Are you being courteous? And it really instills a focus on customer service that I think is important, especially in a business like casinos that is basically 100% customer service because you do not have a physical product that you're selling. It's 100% customer service and you live and die by that. So kind of looking at a little bit of the way M does this, the way they get the word out to their employees, talking a little bit to them about how it happens, it's, it seems to me that this is a very good tool for both raising employee morale and also for focusing them and saying, yeah, you're going to do this not just because it's the right thing, but because it will yield the four stars, which helps us and which is good. And it kind of gives people something to shoot for. So I think it's pretty cool. And Hunter, I'd love to hear what you learned in that Bellagio report. Well, one of the things that you had written, uh, I read I read your post earlier, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I think you alluded to was like, well, you know, these people um, – there's some question as far as how legitimate some of these awards are and whether or not they know they're coming or not. And you delved into that a little bit. And so what the report that I had gotten was an intermediate report from – it was the AAA, which mm-hmm. is the Diamonds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my understanding is that it's, it's it's actually easier to get than the Forbes stars. Is, is that hmm. right? I, mean, I have no idea. I, I had heard that it's harder to get the five stars than just to get five Diamonds. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, and basically, you know, Bellagio had had its five diamond awards since it opened and it was a point of pride for them and losing it would be a severe black mark. Right. So it's basically like losing that is not an option. Mm-hmm. You can't regress. That would be like, it would be a, it would make them a laughing stock. It would be really would be bad for business. It'd be like, what the hell's wrong with the Bellagio? So kind of losing that is not an option. And this report, it's interesting. It was it was not entirely complimentary. This was sort of that period of Bellagio post merger where it had been sort of left to it left out to pastor a little bit. No one seemed to really be minding the store as closely as they were uh, when it opened and as they are now. Um, and there was this period where you would get a lot of reports from customers saying like, "Yeah, it doesn't really seem like the Bellagio I remember." And there were some notable service problems. Um, and this was from that period, and it was very interesting to see. Uh, the um, the reviewer really rag on them. I mean, it was it was there were some brutal assessments of some of these employee uh, some of the employees they came in they came in contact with, and you know no, nobody's uh, mentioned directly identified by name or anything like that. But it's it was it was a tough report, and the implication was that if you don't raise your standards, you you know we you need to fix these things to be qualify as a five of a five-star property, right? So it was it was like, it, these are all the things that you failed at. And, uh, you know, we're going to come back and check again. And if you don't get these, then there's might be a problem. It was, I mean, it seemed like there's sort of this shared understanding that the, the resort can't afford to lose it. Um, and so, you know, they want to make, they're saying, these are all the things that were wrong on this report card. When we come back to do your next one, you know, they better be fixed. And I assume that they, I never saw the follow-up. I assume they fixed them because clearly they retained their status. But to me, I always thought that was very interesting because it was, you know, it's not like someone walks in and does their reporting and that's that. You know, the the the, the resort definitely got a chance to kind of fix 
the things that um, that don't go right. And it, it sort of underscores just to me, at least the fact that, you know, this whole thing is a business and um, there's everyone I think has a vested interest in, um, in to some extent, once a property is declared as blessed, it's sort of everyone has a vested interest in it doing, continuing to do well on these, on these uh, evaluations. Um, I, you know, and I don't know the history of this. It would be very interesting to see, has a five-star property ever been stripped of a star? And what, was the, what were the circumstances surrounding it? My guess is probably either no or the number is small. Um, the impression I got was definitely like, once you're in the club, we help you stay in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to mean they're like actively cheating, but it's, it's not like we came in, we found out, you know, we got, we had a terrible experience and thus we're going to take your star. It's like, well, we came in, we had a bad experience. We're going to tell you about it. And you have, you know, this number of chances to fix it. And maybe that's entirely appropriate. Uh, but it's just, you know, depending on, I don't, I don't know what people think. Um, expect when they see these ratings, whether or not uh, it, you know, they're, I, 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 just, I get the impression that it, their relationship, while not, I'm definitely not implying that they're being paid for their stars or anything like that, but it, that it's, it's, you know, they, everybody sort of has a vested interest in people doing well, some of these uh, evaluations that it's not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not like a covert, government agency that's you know going to strip you of your license if you're uh, not <laughs> behaving properly. The Conowoc Gaming Authority. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's that's a good thing about it, though, because really, if you look at it, it's more of a process than an end product, you know. And to me, I think it's basically they're outsourcing their quality control in a good way where, you, you know, as a customer, you have something solid. You just don't have the whatever... Marketing material says this is the finest resort in the world. You know, you've actually got some benchmark there saying, yeah, four, Forbes four stars, this is what I can expect. And, you know, internally they can use that and say, look, your department isn't, you know, your department is not carrying the load. You've got to make some changes here. And right. I think it's good for operationally, you know, less as a consumer. I don't really look at these that much, but I can see operationally it's got a lot of value. Well, so. Sorry to interrupt you, but that was sort of one of the things that you were one of, I think, the open questions of your thing was how much do consumers care about this? I personally, I don't I don't look at it at all. I mean, I, I maybe I use it to. Well, that's not probably let me backtrack a little bit. That's not entirely true. I may use it to get a general idea of the sort of where a property stacks up. But in Las Vegas, there are so many four and five star places that. I wouldn't use that as a criteria to pick, right? I already kind of know quality wise, like who, what level to expect. And that's reflected in the prices anyway. Um, I wouldn't pick like win over Bellagio because they have an extra star. I have a question. Does anybody know what the website is for the Forbes travel guide? The answer is no. (laughs) Right. Winlasvegas.com. Right. Does anybody know where about everybody in the universe gets all their reviews and ratings from? That would be Yelp, no. correct? Yeah. Yes. I mean, Yelp is a huge part of it, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. The, I haven't seen – now, the Forbes used to be the mobile travel guide. And I right. remember my dad buying a mobile travel guide in like 1976 because <laughs> we were going on a bicentennial trip to – Pennsylvania, you know. Wow. <laughs> so we had to we had to find some uh, some 
the best quality days in along the interstate. <laughs> so uh, I remember seeing it then. I haven't seen it since. I don't foresee myself ever buying a Forbes or Mobile Travel Guide or a AAA Five Diamond Award. I mean, if tr- their guide either. You know, people look want to know what's good. They're asking their friends. This stuff, fine. It does what it does. It gives them a, a reason to toot their horn. But honestly, you know, this has been trumped by social media, just like everything else in the world. People want to know from other people, their peers and their friends, where they had a good time and what's a good place to stay or not. Not, not a stuffy reviewer. And another thing that I find interesting, you know, as somebody studying this using social media, it makes the whole process a lot more transparent where now, you know, you can track exactly what the customer service failures are at different casinos. And it's kind of when I, it's the kind of thing when I have the time, I want to harvest stuff from Yelp and from TripAdvisor, right. taking into account the number of total nut jobs out there, Though. whatever, but you know, seeing like what are, it's just an interesting question to me, kind of intellectually curious about when people complain about hotels in Vegas, what do they complain about? And how is that different from what they complain about hotels in other places? I think it would be interesting, though. There's been you know, some stories recently, too, about the, the, how, how often Yelp, Yelp and TripAdvisor, especially since they're so big, how they're constantly being gamed. Yeah. Uh, and there's a ton of illegitimate stuff on there. And you know, we're starting to see people take that problem, problem in quotes, right? Uh, uh, yeah. more seriously as they use technology to kind of strip out the ones that are most likely not legitimate or it's becoming an interesting question as these sort of social recommendation services become more popular and they carry more weight, obviously people find ways to influence them. Um, and you know, it, it, a, a lot of that stuff that you see may not be legitimate. And I see this myself too, on a smaller scale, um, with the stuff that the the stuff that I operate, I I constantly I have had to ban a couple of people. There's one person in particular that um, you know constantly would spread disinformation about competitors' restaurants um, and try and uh, post these reviews throughout the iPhone app. And I I uh, you know it, this stuff definitely happens, right? And <laughs> I'm sh- I can only imagine the scale of a TripAdvisor and. And what they have to deal with. But so actually I found my um, survey and -hmm. actually it's mobile. It was not uh, AAA. It's mobile. And this is from 2007. Um, Bellagio scored a 72% on the uh, service evaluation report. They were unhappy with the arrival service, guest room conditions, and housekeeping. I guess housekeeping didn't come two of the days that they were there. Uh, but it is an interesting 190-page report Wow! uh, about everything that they found. Um, so, you know, it is interesting to sort of see the work product that goes along with this. And this is mostly, you know, checking boxes on a form, but, you know, they ask questions like, was the guest's name used in communication with them? You know, staff maintains an alert presence. Staff appears to be generally well-informed about entire hotel. Guest name is used as a sign of recognitions. Uh, There's all, there's a huge long checklist and this goes through, um, every single department, and it does call out a couple of uh, excellent employees by name, but it's just kind of interesting to see uh, the uh, the work product that's associated with this stuff. Now, how awesome would it be if they posted they those posted this. reports yeah. those eight times you got to see what happened eight times they went to stay at Bellagio? You could track 
everything that happened, and they made it public knowledge, and this is why the ratings – that, to me, would be absolutely upper of awesome. It's a great mm-hmm. point, right? So if they're really that proud and that confident in what they've done uh, – this would be proof, right? They would be. I don't to- mean Bellagio posted. I mean, why oh, not both. the Forbes yeah. guys? Well, sure. Okay, right. Get this stuff out there. So, in two levels, like Forbes should do it, and Bellagio should do it because not because they have to, because they want to. Yeah. And that would really, I mean, you know, of course, that's never going to happen, right? But uh, it would be amazing that they're so confident and pleased with how they've done that they are able to say, "Yep, yeah, here we go. We're happy to share this with you." That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've also heard the story of straight out of the Oceans movie that the the uh, the brass at a property knew that the the Michelin guy was there, and they were following him around, radioing ahead to the to the employees to the you know always going towards whatever Terrace Point Cafe, you know. Right. Get a table for one ready, no waiting. Guys in a blue shirt right. you know, and a green tie. You, know, you have, this, to, this you have to wonder that, happened. right? This stuff happens too. Right. You have to wonder how, how much they know and how, you know, it, you would think when something like that is that important that they do, the casinos themselves do their homework and they, I mean, you know. Espionage, man. It's not, not hard to find out who the reviewers are. You would think. Yeah, you would think. But you know, I think it's going to be like, and for some reason, whenever I think about reviewers, I don't know why, because I never really watched the show that much, but I always think about the episode of Three's Company where the guy was coming to review Jack's restaurant and the whole, I don't even remember what the plot was. I just remember that Jack was really bent out of shape about everything. So yeah, it's, uh, that could backfire too, <laughs> which yeah. could be pretty funny. It was, that was his bistro, not the Regal Beagle, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, the Regal Beagle. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Three's Company. Um, I think we're done for today. I think we've <laughs> we've uh, covered a lot of topics. We're going a little bit long. We're going to do sure bets here in a second. But, um, yeah, that was fun. I think we got we had some, some good discussion. I uh, – Definitely enjoyed it. So, yeah, so sure bets. So this is our segment where we get to recommend something to you guys in the audience, guys and gals in the audience who, uh, you know, it may may or may not be casino related. It can be anything at all. Just something that we think you might enjoy, something we've come across, something that uh, we want to bring to your attention. So, um, Chuck, I will start with you. Do you have a sure bet for us today? You know, I certainly do. Uh, This week... Uh, today, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, which you might not be, you will. Um, uh, Van Halen released their first album with David Lee Roth in what is it, 28 years <laughs> since 1984. The album 1984, which was recorded in late 1983, was released. It came out uh, today. It's called A Different Kind of Truth. I think it's got like 13 tracks on it, and I tell you what, man, as as uh, I, I've been tracking this Van Halen story for a couple of years now, ever since I saw Eddie show up once, like blasted out of his mind with his teeth missing and his hair out to here. It looked like a, 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 a 
really sad kind of story. He was a total mess. Everything was a disaster, and things did not look good for Eddie Van Halen. And in the course of these five years, I've, I was always a fan, but I became like a super fan. And I've been pulling for the guy. It's like the story of redemption. You know, it's the Roy Hobbs story. Um, here's a guy, a, a brilliant musician, a genius, uh, who's just kind of had a lot of problems in the last 10 or so years. You know, when, when, when you reach a point in your life when you something happens, some tragedy or your health takes a dip or, or you just get struck by some kind of uh, lightning bolt epiphany, things change. And Van Halen buried the hatchet with David Lee Roth after 28 years of 20 something years of, of difficulty, acrimony and anger and frustration. And they've put together a new collection of tunes, a large chunk of which are based on old stuff, demos from the seventies up to some bits and pieces from the eighties. Like real fans have heard some of these songs in different ways, shapes, and forms, and they've also coupled it with a half dozen of brand new tunes. And the end result is is is, is probably the darkest, heaviest, most hard rockinest, awesomest Van Halen album of you know of them all. It's one of the best things they've ever done. It's up there with Fair Warning and 1984. It's just Eddie's on fire playing. Uh, Dave Roth is just as witty, wonderful, hysterical, fun-loving, and thought-provoking in a lot of ways, and he never really was before. He's reached a level of maturity that that uh, only being around on the planet 50-something years will will give you. And the rest of the guys are great. Eddie's son, Wolfgang, is playing bass now, and he's a phenomenal bass player. Uh, and he does the background vo- vocals. He's not as, as as piercing and perfect as Michael Anthony, but... He's 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 fantastic, and and if you like rock and roll, you like Van Halen, you, or you just want to hear some old guys getting back together and not fucking it up and really kicking ass and doing a great job, go check out a different kind of truth. If you don't want to get the whole record, I say take a shot at Blood and Fire and uh, Honey Baby, Sweetie Doll, and uh, uh, She's the Woman. Uh, for for the highlight tracks of of this record, um, yeah. So this is obviously a big deal uh, with it coming out and them. Um, you know they've been touring, but uh, them yeah. getting back together to do a record. Uh, Dave, you were also a fan of the rock music. Did you? Uh, what do you think about this record? I think it's great. You know, I had heard Tattoo the single. It was out on YouTube, and I was like, mm, it's decent. I'm not in love with it. And honestly, I think that might be the weakest track in the album. I mean, it's the rest of the stuff is so incredibly good. I'm just like, wow, this is really great stuff. It just sounds so raw. Yeah. I think that's the right word. It just really sounds raw yeah. and energetic. I mean, kind of like Panama. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Big but, hit for them. yeah, I mean, like really good, like kind of them at the best. So it's more like Panama than, say, Trying to think of a dud here, and maybe Charles can help me out. I don't know. I'm blanking right now. You know, some of the kind of filler stuff and some of the records where it's just kind of like, meh, they Any, showed up. Anything from 1986 to 2004? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, like a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff where they're just kind of going through the motions. It's like really, I mean, this is really they're firing on all cylinders. So I, I'm impressed. It's it's rock and roll. It's great rock and roll. You know, the Sammy Hagar era era was was filled with lots of good kind of pop stuff, but but the rockin' was put in the back seat. This is it back. They fired up the Jets for sure. Well, um, definitely check that out if you're into the rock music. Uh, you can get it wherever uh, wherever fine music is sold, I guess, right? <laughs> you can go to your local record store if you still have one. You can go on iTunes. You can do whatever people do if they have an Android phone and want to buy music. Uh, you know, it's all over the place. Um, all right. Dr. Dave, what about you? Okay, this is kind of cheesy, but... You know, on Netflix, I was just banging around there. Oh, no, actually, this, I don't know what this was. See, yeah, I think this is, yeah, this is Netflix banging around. And I saw that they had Star Blazers available to watch. Hmm. For those of you who don't know, Star Blazers was the Japanese cartoon space battleship Yamato taken over to America in the very early 80s when I was a kid and dubbed into English, changing a lot of the names and stuff. So, for example, the ship went from being the Yamato to the Argo for a lot of geopolitical reasons I'm not going to get into. But it's kind of one of the things I remembered from my youth is, like, this is a show that I just thought was awesome and could not wait to watch. So I'm like, well, let me watch it a little bit more, you know, with some years in me. And at first I was appalled at how mind-boggling awful it was. It was just <laughs> horrible. I mean, horrible dialogue. <laughs> Everybody is just doing the most ham-fisted exposition. Like, everybody's like, okay, you know, this is a wave-motion gun, which is worse than the same <laughs> principle as the wave-motion engine, which was given to us by Queen Starsha from the planet Iskandar, who we have a year to go to get the Cosmo DNA that will counteract <laughs> the planet bombs that the Gamelons have been firing at us. <laughs> if we do not get the Argo to the planet Iskandar and back to Earth in one year... Planet Earth will die. I mean, seriously, they would just do that like several times an episode. So the from that angle, it's awful. But then the more I watched it, there's some really good stuff in there. And for a cartoon, you know, I can imagine the Japanese original is much better. They start going into the psychology of some of the characters and doing flashbacks. I mean, it's like the kind of thing you would see on Lost, but in a cartoon that's 30 years old. So I I don't know. That's just kind of my sentimental pick there. And it's kind of fun. Uh, You know, on one level, it's kind of fun because it's really cheesy, early 80s animation. The other level, there's some really cool stuff in there. Nice. All right. So, you know, if you're feeling nostalgic, definitely (laughs) check it out. Um, Let's see. So I was going to pick my extremely uh, high-tech, semi-expensive digital thermostat. But instead of I'm – getting, I'm getting a reputation as like, you know, picking these crazy, weird, you know, unattainable things that nobody wants. So I'm going to pick something different. Actually, sticking with the music theme, um, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, there's this thing called the Apogee Jam, which is like uh, – it's a digital interface for your guitar for your iPhone or your iPad. So Apple has GarageBand on the iPhone and the iPad. There's a – ton of other audio apps in the app store. You get this Apogee Jam. Apogee is an audio company that's been making digital interfaces forever. Um, and you can plug your guitar directly into your iOS device and, you know, record. And there you can, there's a ton of uh, amp simulators in GarageBand, a ton of effects. So you can just, if you're, you know, rocking in a small place where you either, you can't, uh, setting up an amp is not practical for space reasons or noise reasons or whatever, um, this is a really fun way to practice your guitar, to play with some fun effects, 
and um well, and, out with your cock out yeah exactly it's a, it's a <laughs> lot of fun it's a lot of fun um and you know i i have only ever i only ever fiddle with it but um i know some people actually use this to actually make music that sounds pretty amazing when you consider the fact that they're doing it on these you know these digital devices it's pretty crazy what you can do these days and in the hands of a real musician um it's pretty incredible so i they, i think the jam is like 100 bucks so it's not super cheap but it is uh, a lot of fun. It's totally digital, so you get some pretty um, high quality sound out of it, even if it's not super analogy and warm. It still um, it still sounds pretty good, and so I would totally recommend it. I've been having a lot of fun with it. It was a, a Christmas gift that I have uh, been playing with a lot. So, so that thing's the dongle. The dongle. That yeah, you it plugs in. Yeah, it plugs into the dock connector on the bottom, and it's basically a little box that's got a a quarter inch jack in one side, and the and it plugs into the into the dock connector of the iPad and then you can, you know, bit, bit. yeah, I was, this is great that you mentioned this. Cause I was looking into these kinds of things, not, but four days ago. Yeah. Now this works with any of these, the apps. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. So, the, right. So it'll work with any, any app that captures audio. It, it's, it's sort of a, um, a generic digital interface for, and I, I guess you could plug in any kind of balanced line level thing. It doesn't have to be a guitar. Right. Um, so that's the only thing that I've tried. Um, but yeah, it'll work with any app that can do audio. I've mostly been using it with GarageBand, but it'll work with anything. They have some cheesy apps that they've made that are free also that I didn't really try, but yeah, right. it works great. Awesome. Yeah. So if you want to rock out with or yes. without your cock out, you I'm, can. I'm planning on it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's it for today. Thanks to everybody for being here. Let me go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you. Uh, Dr. Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? GGSchwartz.com, and they should go to that site and sign my guest book. Ah, there you go, and play in your tiny, tiny casino. <laughs> uh, Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at VegasTripping.com. Excellent. And those of you that are looking for me, uh, you can find me at ratevegas.com. And thanks, guys. Have a great week and weekend. <laughs>